A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Don't trust this book. Don't trust these people. Don't trust yourself. And whatever you do, don't give away that ending. It's a book The Guardian called fantastically creepy and The Evening Standard called this year's must-read thriller. Behind Her Eyes, the Sunday Times' number one bestseller is out now and available to download from Audible. is sponsored by The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Vollleben, published by HarperCollins Books. The Hidden Life of Trees is the global bestseller that has changed the way we see the world. It reveals that trees are capable of much more than we have ever known. They are like human families and they help each other out unconditionally. Tree parents live together with their tree children, communicate with them, support them as they grow and share nutrients. Forget Facebook, Twitter or Instagram to see a thriving social network you should look beyond your screen and out into the forest. After reading this book, a walk through the woods will never be the same again. The Hidden Life of Trees is Waterstone's non-fiction book of the month. Pick up the paperback now or download the audiobook at audible.co.uk. Listen at the end of the podcast for an exclusive extract. Don't trust this book. Don't trust these people. Don't trust yourself. And whatever you do, don't give away that ending. It's a book The Guardian called fantastically creepy and The Evening Standard called this year's must-read thriller. Behind Her Eyes, The Sunday Times' number one bestseller is out now and available to download from Audible. Episode 26 of The Hilo, the weekly news and pop culture podcast brought to you by journalists Dolly Alderton and Pandora Sykes, who has been trotting around at London Fashion Week this week. Carted about in your lovely car with your driver Liam, who you kept calling Ian. Ian, got it wrong. Um, I felt so sorry for you this last week, I think because we were texting quite a lot, and I don't think I'd actually realised quite how intense Fashion Week is when you're reporting on it or working there. And I just kept thinking how tired you must be. I sent Pandora this, like, really stress-inducing text that probably didn't make you feel better when you were completely knackered at the end of the day, where I was like, do you get to eat snacks? Do they put snacks in the car? I think I would hate Fashion Week. I think it's so much standing around and talking. I would be so emotionally (laughs) zapped. But I would. I really do think it must be, like pretty grueling I think these things always look really glamorous yeah um, like my sister Anna always goes but it must be so much fun are you having fun and the only way I can compare it is it's like going to a conference so in the same way that you go to a conference exactly. for three days yeah. and you would just endlessly network and sell and meet contacts it's it's kind of like that while um, being photographed all the time and having to look fabulous I think it's really <laughs> stressful I mean Google Images is not my friend but <laughs> no but I obviously went to New York and I did London and I'm not going to Paris I mean you can spend a whole month doing it but 
All I would say is that the thing that I do really resent, and the cliche about fashion is really true, is it doesn't bring out the best in people. It does mm. bring out these anxieties where I think some people who would be really nice outside of fashion week are just not their best selves during it. I mean, I met a woman who I'd met three times before and I'd come to a breakfast she'd hosted mm. and she introduced herself to me and I was like, oh, we've actually oh, met before. Horrible. And she just sort of looked at me blankly and I just thought, do you know what, just... Why do normal mm. bl bluffing skills not apply in fashion week? Something I pretend, I just go, hi. And when someone yeah. goes, we've met before, I'll go, I know, I'm so sorry, I'm terrible with names. Yeah. I just think, it's literally just the anxieties within. That's the only way I can put it. I, I have good friends that do it now. I, I don't feel the pressures that maybe I would have once mm. there. Um, probably because I'm not at a newspaper now, so I can attend in a slightly different capacity. Mm. I still find them really useful, but it's kind of up to me how much I um, do and don't report on the activities there. I was writing a bunch of stuff for Man Repeller, the website. Which I, I read, which was to. very funny. Oh, my, my day in the life. And I wrote some other stuff for them, but you know, they're, and they're a very, they're a very easy website for me mm. to contribute to. So I, I didn't have those stresses as well. But yeah, I just, the thing that I think is a bit killer is that it's always over weekends. So you don't have a weekend for three weeks. And it is just, it's just the way people talk to each other. It's that age old thing. I'm fascinated by people and I spend way too much time trying to analyse how people communicate with each other. Yeah. And being a bit frustrated at those choices people make in that split second of pretending not to know you or looking over someone's shoulder. That's the thing that i Or just I've... giving you a really limp handshake. I just don't really have time for that anymore. That's the it thing that, very frustrated. that I've really found when I, I don't attend a lot of fashion events. I was going to say, um, Donny, I don't think I've seen you at fashion No, no, I've never gone to fashion week. But whenever I have gone to those sorts of events, it's the only... And I've got a lot of friends who work in fashion. I know that that cliche isn't true. A lot of them are very warm and effusive and kind. Um, but something happens in that environment. I think it's because it's mm. so about aesthetics by its nature that... I've never been in a room with fashion people at a fashion event. I'm always aware that it's like a stock market and everyone has a stock or share price. Yeah. And it's like everyone is assessing who's well, plummeting, really, who's going up. That's what's really and it weird makes me well. feel really stressed and self-conscious. And, and that's why people look over your shoulder to see the more valuable stock behind you. And I just yeah, hate it. It's really it. true. That's a really interesting way of putting it. If I were at Fashion Week, I reckon that they'd put me, you know, at the theatre when there are those girls at the back with the trays of ice cream around their neck <laughs> that's why I'd be just at the door and there's nothing wrong with that I was there I was there Handing for a, I was there for a long time but as you say I did have a wonderful driver called Liam I was very very lucky to be lent a car by Mercedes and it wasn't just any old car it was a G-Wagon um, and the, it went very well with your outfit in the brightest blue um, <laughs> and it that is a real game changer actually in terms of getting to shows and stuff and my driver who was a policeman in um, the He's a policeman in Ealing and he also runs all the social media for the police force in Ealing. And Doesn't he's doing he? a master's in social media surveillance. Oh my God, he couldn't have been better for I you. I know, he was so interesting. You guys must have chewed the fat throughout <laughs> all your journeys. Well, he introduced me to this app, um, which isn't new. I think it came out last year and I imagine, for obvious reasons, it's quite controversial. But it's called Blinkist. Have you heard of it? No. So what it does is it condenses books into 15-minute episodes. So it's obviously controversial because it's a bit mm. like reading the keynotes yeah, yeah. when you do an exam. But I have to say, I'm really excited about this for all the books that I have read. Because I'm one of those weird people that when I've read a book or I've watched a film or watched a TV series, I go and read up on the synopsis yeah, and all I the reviews. Well. And I, so I kind of love the idea of that. And I think that, you know, with something like Blinkist, it's not suggesting we shouldn't read anymore. I think just use it in supplement mm. to... Um, to the reading that you are doing. So I'm definitely going to check out um, Blinkist. 
And when I wasn't in the car um, chatting to Lim, I catch, caught a few um, a few things on the laptop this week. Um, I did some late night BBC iPlaying and watched a new Scandi noir called Black Lake. So for anyone Ooh. that loves like the bridge and the killing and the boat, I've made that one up. But all, the, all the jumper ones. All the all the jumper ones. Black Lake is very good and very spooky. I've also obviously been watching Dr. Foster, of which, of which there's been oh much histrionics about surrounding. Dr. Foster, people yeah, it's are very watchable. obsessed. I know, it is very watchable. It's like 8 million viewers, Dr. Foster. I know, it's sort of crazy. And I've read so many interviews with her. I can't believe anyone's still interviewing her because I yeah. feel like she, poor woman, must be wrung dry. This does not show me in the best light. And I'm not proud of it because I should be more of a grown up. Since living on my own, I can't watch scary stuff. I can't oh yeah, watch... yeah, yeah! I watch it through all five yeah, fingers. Yeah, maybe I could during the day. I don't know. Living on what your I own is, is such a process, the... and I think I'll get to a point where I can. But at the moment, it I put the me laptop over the other side of the room, and then put your glasses on, and then the physical distance. Oh, that's a good idea. So I watch it from really far away. Oh, maybe I'll try that on a small screen. Yeah, and then <laughs> that's so funny. That's like Joey and Friends putting the book in the fridge, The Shining. It's <laughs> literally I am Joey exactly. Um, and I also watched on Netflix. It never even came out in the UK, so it obviously did appallingly in the US. The Circle, which is the film version of Dave Eggers' book about a social media network that tries to make humanity completely transparent, and it stars Emma Watson and Tom Hanks. It's got a great cast. I thought it was quite interesting, um, but it, yeah, it had absolutely terrible reviews, as I said. Oh, never, really? Never even got a UK release. I think the book, have you read the book? I can't remember. No. Have you read any of Dave Eggers' stuff? No. So he wrote, oh God, you'd love it. He wrote, and this is a call out to everyone, he wrote an amazing book when he was about 21. He's now about 45. I know these are not correct facts. No one needs to email me and tell me he was actually 20 <laughs> or 22. But he was about 21 and he's about 45 now. And it was called A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius. Right. And he wrote it after his parents both died and left him um, with younger siblings to bring up when he was only young himself. God. And it's this amazing, but it's full. I mean, it will make you sob. You know, it's full of kind of pathos or, or bathos which one is it so i thought bathos was a bath oil for many years no that's that's um bad badidas <laughs> but bathos lauren had to tell me when we were writing a script is actually when there's like um a sad anticlimax. oh so what's pathos pathos is connecting with people i think Okay, well, maybe... Charlie? I'll, shall I just stick with Charlie's the, the book is quite down. sad? Yeah, there we go. The book is quite <laughs> sad. But what's great is that he's also... He's also got this hilarious arrogance and optimism of youth. And he thinks he is a genius. And he thinks he's a brilliant writer. So at times, you know, in amidst the kind of trenches of sadness, he'll be mm. like... He'll sort of bring it back to being like, but, you know, I'm really wonderful. I should actually be writing something really great right now. So it's just the most... It's just the most brilliant book. And he's only written, I think, about five books, Dave Agus. But he is sort of really famous for that one. Mm. Anyway, The Circle is brilliant, but film version, not so much. I did read a couple of good things this week as well. The um, interview with Camilla Batmangeli in The Times magazine. Did I you see that? that? You know, me and my friends are obsessed with Camilla Batmangeli. Yeah, i obsessed with her as her, well. Her face is, is our... Is it Jolly, not Jelly? Jolly. We call her Camilla Batmangeli. Oh, her face true. is our um, WhatsApp group icon. <laughs> so, I mean, she loves a croc 
animal as much as my mother. Her crocs of 25 animals in them a piece. But it was a really, it was a really good interview. It was done by Camilla Cavendish. She used to work in the government. She knows a lot about child protection mm. and troubled children. It was a really good example of a pairing of an interviewee and an interviewer. Yeah. Um, and Did you ever watch the, um, the reason we became obsessed with her is there was this documentary that was on a couple of years ago that covered the breakdown remember, yeah. of Kids Company by accident. The interview, the documentary maker, it was one of those magic things, Went thought she was doing one thing and it turned out being this huge yes. moment. But me and my friends are obsessed with it because the interviewer, the documentary maker is a woman called Lynn and Camilla had this really strange relationship with her and kept talking to her behind the camera and they'd come in like on the day where it was announced that it lost, you know, all this money and she's go, oh, Lynn... It's not a very good day today, Lean. <laughs> well, it's a very good interview because so for anyone that's not familiar um, with Camilla, she, yeah, she founded Kids Company, which was a really leading charity for um, vulnerable children, essentially, whether or not they were staying in Kids Company or they were at home or they were just popping in to chat to her. And it basically all sort of blew up in this huge explosion of mm. where has all because it got a lot of money from the public about a mm. hundred million I think mm. and then private investors and the BBC it's a very sad story and the BBC controller Alan Yentob was the uh, was he like the director of Kids Company and he had to step down when it all went wrong yeah. he stepped down from the BBC he's doing alright so don't feel too sorry for him but he had to step down anyway it was all this hideous thing and there was a lot of oh my god it was run so badly they only had a sort of ten year old doing the finances and, and why were they cash stuffed in envelopes and why were they giving 50 pounds notes to children who could go buy drugs and this interview was brilliant because you finally got to hear what she said and she said we were not clueless I might be crap with money but we had 12 senior directors mm. we were audited twice a year um, she said as for those children that I was giving money to buy drugs 90% of our children come are born in drug households they are born addicted to drugs she was like they don't need me to give 50 pounds to go buy drugs they can get them for free in their own house what they were doing is going paying the gas meter mm. the electricity bill and as she's doing this interview these little faces pop up and she's going do you need me to talk to you and the child just nods and goes away children are still flocking to her yeah it, and is, just... it was quite strange you do see it in this documentary i'll see if it's still online and we'll post it in the um in the it bio, is, it so. is. Yeah, no, so there the is a slight is, weird deification, the kind of the angel bloody, of Peckham thing. It's behind the Times paywall, this oh, interview, yeah. which is so annoying. I almost want to, I might actually just photograph it. Yeah, put you it could. on Twitter so people can read it. Because nothing has, I don't think she's an angel, but I think what she has dedicated her life to, she still lives. Like the interviewer, so Camilla Cavendish says that she assumes that this flat is a sort of... Um, you know, almost like a fake home. And she actually, she's from an insanely rich Iranian family. Yeah. And, and that actually she must have this giant house elsewhere. But no, really, this is all she has. Everything has gone as kids' company. But what she says, and I do really agree that she means this, is there is, what is there now for the children? What is, you know, all that's of That's the those... tragedy in the whole thing. And that's at the end of that villain, documentary. Villainizing, is that a word? Vilifying. Vil vilifying <laughs> her is so utterly pointless because she's done more than most... Yeah, I think it's, I don't know, I'm on the fence with it. I would love to read the article because I feel like I've only seen one side of the story. But um, her Desert Islandists, actually, blah, 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 what a bore am I, um, are very interesting. And she talks a, a lot in it about how she 
handle the children and and working with compassion at times when it's very difficult so she's you know she's not an evil person no she's definitely a complicated lady my friend used to work at kids company and she said it was you know organizationally a bit of a shit show i was also obsessed with the office with the giant tree in did you see that no oh my god that was part of the whole ferrari that when it was like all this misspending all these photographs emerged of her with this like aladdin's cave of an office that had a real tree in it she lives her home is apparently how she dresses Oh, really? So piles and piles of colourful sort of cloaks mm. everywhere. And they sit on this she bed, which is about 10 she? foot high and covered in like pink quilts. And yeah, yeah, she is. She's really fascinating. She's, she's definitely her own person. Mm. The other thing I read, which was really great, and I tweeted it. And then I think um, we, and by we, I mean me, retweeted it on the High Lows account, was an article in the, it was on the cover of the Observer magazine. But you can read it on The Guardian now. Um about grossophobia or grossophobia. I don't know how you pronounce it. Now, I'd never heard of grossophobia before, but it basically means that um, you're, you have a fear of fat people. You have a fear of very fat people. And this woman wrote an article about... Uh, she wrote this article... She's written a book, but she wrote this article called What It, what it Is Like to Be Fat in France. Obviously, f- France famously fetishizes skinny women. You know, mm. there's that Parisian cliche of being very thin and um, smoking cigarettes. And all those coffee, books, How to Be Parisian. And all that yeah. And this, it is absolutely... F- I mean, I'm going to read this, but the article I thought was absolutely fascinating. She, she, it was a teaching assistant and she was told by the school that she worked at that she had a month to show that she was committed, i.e. start losing weight or you're out. And it's things a, that it's people a, have said to her. It's astonishing. And when I had no idea, she said this is a very specifically French problem going to the gynecologist and the gynecologist saying I can't say anything because of all your blubber you know being sexually harassed by a colleague and him saying why would I try and rape a fat woman you know it's just unbelievable and it really does make you look at those how to be French fetishizing the whole like oh you just have a tiny bit of this and you just have a bite of that and you just have a cigarette and you whatever it really makes you look at it in a different way that's very dark and upsetting it reminded me a bit of Roxane Gay's book yeah um, Hunger I think you know we could talk about this for a really long time and I've, I've read some really interesting think pieces definitely from a sort of medical um, perspective you know saying stuff like until we um, can figure out why everyone has the metabolism they have we can't possibly solve yes. obesity because yes. everyone's built differently yeah. um um, but the the thing that I find most interesting about it is that it does really annoy me that culturally we feel deeply sad and empathetic to a woman that's very, very thin, mm. but we are disgusted with a woman that is, sorry, or man, um, but she was a woman, which is why I was speaking specifically about women, or we are disgusted, although I would say it's gendered, we are definitely more yeah. disgusted by a very, very fat woman than we are a very, very Yeah, fat no one's man. got a fucking problem with Gerard Depardieu, do you know what I mean? He's like... <laughs> Depardieu? Depardieu. He's like Mr. France. That's how you he go is at actually him. Mr. France. Yeah. He has a jolly old life, doesn't he? Yeah, he has a great time. <laughs> anyway, um, from Depardot to Dolly Doe, what have you been up to this week? Um, I have, and this is extremely strange, uh, been watching all of Cold Feet. I've been watching the new series. Have you been watching the old? No, so basically, Lauren and I are developing a script at the moment and something really strange happens in TV pitches where you you start to kind of sell it. You say... It's blah blah meets blah blah. It's a bit of this. Oh yeah, you have to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we realised that we've been working on this script for ages, and we're 
in the process of trying to Is this a new it. one or one that you've been... It's new. We haven't sold it to anyone yet, but we're a production company's interested. And I realised in the top line of it, we're like, imagine Cold Feet, but blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I've never actually watched Cold Feet. So I, I need to understand what this... So that you're not a big old bullshitter. Because I'm not a bullshitter, but also Cold Feet was a real moment in British yeah, culture. Yeah, it was huge. Culture that I just don't understand, that I Like have Friends no over of. here, wasn't it? Yeah, was it, in exactly. the, it was like the late 90s as well, because it's 20 years on now, this yeah. series. Yeah, and it's so funny going back and watching it with kind of virgin eyes because the first thing that you notice is um they all look really normal in a way that I just don't think you'd have on TV now yeah um you know James Nesbitt's got a mono brow um they're all kind of wrinkled their teeth are all funny they're, they're all sexy and charming but it's 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 uh jarring when you watch it yeah. by today's modern standards the second thing I noticed the gender politics are so fucked in it like a lot of people say that now when you look back and watch Friends. Friends. But there's like a moment where one character goes into his wife who has given birth three weeks before. And he's like, oh, come on, love. I'm desperate to get me end away. And she's like, oh, no, the stitches aren't healed for six weeks. I'm like, Jesus Christ. You would never be able to put that on TV now. And well, quite that, rightly. But I can imagine that happening in a house, though. I can imagine a man being like, oh, when can we have sex again? And the woman being like, yeah. I can't have sex. I've got stitches. I don't yeah. know if I think that's that on I TV. Know. I just think it made me quite, because, you know, I'm always slightly aware that we're in such a kind of sterilized place of ticking boxes and whatever and like there's yeah. definitely a diversity problem on cold feet but when you go back and watch it I'm like well maybe it's good now that we're so on top of monitoring that stuff because maybe it is damaging to kind of push those gender stereotypes maybe it is or it definitely is damaging to only have one black character in four series yeah um so it made me thankful for the way that. But I don't think it should dampen that. your enjoyment because it is a moment in exactly, time. Exactly, exactly. It was just interesting. So yeah, I need to go back. Well, that. how do you watch it? Have you been watching it illegally? Oh no, I've been paying for it. It's like five quid a series on iTunes. Oh, it's on iTunes. Yeah, is I it? think you'd like it because it is. Um... No, I do. I do want to, and I need a new series after Black Lake and Doctor Foster. And... You'd like the '90s stuff as well. Like, there's one moment in it where Helen Baxendale's character is like swooning over a guy, and she's like. Um, he listens to Massive Attack and he goes backpacking and he takes ecstasy. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so nice. <laughs> now you'd be like, my God, he sounds atrocious. Yeah. But I would say, um, and sorry if I'm upsetting any diehard cold cold fishians, but the, <laughs> the current series is not great. Oh, is it not? I don't think it stood necessarily the test of time. I've been listening to, we mentioned last week, we inserted a clip of Lena Dunham talking on WTF, What the Fuck with Mark Maron. Oh yes, okay, What the Fuck, yeah. And... I found myself drawn to, and I don't know why, Anne Hathaway's episode. Because um, I'm not an Anne Hathaway mega Annie. fan. Um, I'm not an Anne Hathaway. You know, people really hate Anne Hathaway. I don't really hate Yeah, the Hathaway haters. I don't like it at all. It's very mean. Well, this is a really, really good episode. She is so honest in it. It's because he's such a good interviewer. And she talks about the hatred that she's faced. She talks about her struggles with... Um, addiction she talks about addiction to what yeah. well she says she 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 doesn't say specifically addiction she says that she had a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol when she was younger when she was in her 20s really? and she was kind of known as a wild girl um interesting and then she goes really deep into her marriage and her relationship of her with her husband and it's so insane hearing celebrities talking with that kind of fluency and honesty it was like you were listening mm. into her with her friends having a glass of wine she was talking about how her kind of fear of intimacy um 
how she overcame that when she fell in love. It's just it a makes really me wish good that more celebrities are like that because she's about as A list as you can possibly yeah. get. And you love her at if the end. If she of it. can show that yeah. you can talk as a fallible human, then I wish more would follow. It's actually what made. Did you read that ES cover interview with that model Slick Woods? No. Um, it was last oh, week. Oh, everyone was talking about it. It was because it was so bloody unusual. To be fair, her circumstances are quite unique. She um, was living in a trap house, which is basically like a sort of drug house mm. um, up until about 18 months ago mm. and her mum was put into prison when she was four um, she hasn't seen her since she was four she wasn't allowed to visit so she's and her mum comes out next year and is going to come and live with her oh. um, and she's been addicted to drugs and like her life story is in, just incredible and it's a brilliant interview and you read that and you think my god this is how interviews should make you feel just yeah. completely riveted and mystified and it, and it didn't, it didn't and feel those kind of interviews when they're done well they don't feel salacious they don't feel no. oversharey they feel like it's just human experience kind of, yeah you've got you've got a moment of their of humanity and it's really lovely anyway yeah. so the Anne Hathaway one is brilliant also listen to David Remnick who's editor of the New Yorker mm-hmm. he's just such a good interviewee his um Alec Baldwin uh, here's the thing with Alec Baldwin episodes, one of my favourites as well. Um, and he talks, you would just love it, Panda. He talks about um, journalism. He talks a lot about um, how we report around the current uh, American government. Great. I'll um, listen to that. So that's a great episode. And then I have gone into, I've waded into Audible, which is quite complicated, but I but I got through it. Oh, I, I couldn't, know. couldn't break it. I'll explain it I to you. I downloaded lunch. The Butterfly Effect. And I can't find it it's, on my app. So you have neither to, can Ollie. Did you buy it from Amazon? Yes. Oh, that's weird. Okay, I'll have a. I'll look at your phone later. So the butterfly effect, effect with John Watson is one of the most extraordinary series I've ever. Yeah, I think to. we talked. I feel like we talked about it on the. We talked about it when he'd written that trailer piece for it for the Guardian. It's about the porn industry, but it's coming in on it at a very, very specific angle. It's about the man who created porn tubes so who created free porn streaming and the butterfly effect that that has had on individuals Mm. and corporations and industries around the world and it is extraordinary and at the beginning when he's doing the introduction it sounds it's a little bit hacky and he's doing the like oh one flap of the butterfly's wings and you're a bit like oh jesus but by the time you get to the end The butterfly effect is such an accurate metaphor to describe it of how this one man's decision as a businessman Mm. um, has impacted lives in the most extraordinary and far-reaching ways. And he kind of focuses on maybe 10 different strands, 10 different case studies. And it is fascinating, heartbreaking, compelling. I listened to the whole thing in an afternoon. Would you remember that stat that I think I recently told you, either off or on the podcast, I can't remember, that I read in the Sunday Times magazine that um, Pornhub is more watched, it has more visitors than Amazon, uh, BBC and CNN combined. It's the most... And also it really made me rethink, because I've been very vocal in the past about how I think porn is uh, killing intimacy amongst young people and it's also having a huge effect on men of our generation with erectile dysfunction which they go into the increase is astonishing the statistic and I always thought that the kind of numbing that we have to sex and the brutalization of sex and how we can't kind of be intimate or connect with each other anymore and the fact that men are having these and women are having these real problems with how you 
be how you be intimate with someone mm-hmm. you're exposing yourself to that kind of brutality all the time and actually the argument that they make in this is that the porn itself hasn't changed in in recent times what has changed is the availability of it and that's the thing that's really dangerous but i think it has changed because porn from the 70s they were not doing the stuff in porn films that you are now there was certainly they claim no that you do they claim what there was a two were. girls one cup in the 70s was there they claim that that was a thing oh, I can't even well not about that. exactly that anyway <laughs> so um it was the most Phenomenally well, brilliant. if I can Use work out time. Audible, yeah. I'll give it a go. <laughs> um, and then another Audible gem I found um, was through my friend Octavia. Now, s- stay with me on this because the cynical are going to want to turn off. It's a it's a series of lectures called The Power of Vulnerability with an American woman called Brene Brown. Yeah, I've heard of her. She's actually in the Lenny Letter this week and she's a, um academic, she's a doctor, She's this southern woman. Um, she has a lovely manner about speak when she speaks. She did a TED talk that did very, very well called The Power of Vulnerability. Um, and it's basically, I think it's about six hours. And it's a series of talks about how we have lost the art of being vulnerable and how that affects every part of your life. So that's something I really struggle with personally. I don't like people laughing at me. I don't like people thinking I'm stupid. Um, I find dating and falling in love very difficult because I find being vulnerable very challenging um I find it scary um you know I'm always kind of seeking that authenticity thing so I'm kind of being vulnerable being myself not trying to people please and Mm. and change who I am to 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 gain the affection of others and she just goes really deep into all that stuff and it is like quite life-changing I think when you listen to you you do have to suspend you listen to all six hours no I'm, I'm about I've got an hour left where have you where have you been striding with these things in your ears? I've literally been walking everywhere. I've been listening to it in the bath. I've, it's it's that's so, so good. I need brilliant. to. I I've sort of been on it. The irony, given where we are, but I've sort of been on a bit of a podcast hiatus. I've lost mm. like I, I got a bit I, stale with mine I, I just as well. can't find yeah. things. All the podcasts I normally listen to aren't doing it for me right now. I'll give that another go. That does remind me actually of a um, editor. You know who you are. When I first left um, my job at the Sunday Times and I went freelance and I felt very vulnerable Mm. and I felt very um, embarrassed if people didn't want to meet up with me or they didn't like my ideas and Mm. I felt like everyone was going to be like so what's she doing now Mm. and to be honest I still get that drives me mad I'm a journalist don't ask me what I'm doing now (laughs) that's what I'm doing I'm just not at the Sunday Times yeah I I remember writing him an email saying I just I just feel very vulnerable and he and he replied saying it's okay to be vulnerable but to be, be vulnerable to the people that love you and not not the witches that aren't going to you know get your back or or give a shit. And I was like, that's such good advice. It's about showing your vulnerability to the people who can handle it and who deserve it, and about putting on not necessarily a face, but putting on a front with other people. And that's definitely something I'm learning, rather than the wrong way round, which I think I sometimes descend into, which is being too vulnerable with the people that don't deserve it and mm. won't treasure it, mm. and sort of being a bit emotionally stonewally with yeah. the people that want you to be vulnerable. Yeah, and, and it's actually, a, it's a tricky it's, thing to navigate. It's about rethinking in your head, and as I said, she goes really deep into all the science of it, but all the kind of emotional stuff as well. It's about I think I definitely live in a way where I project too much bravado a lot, be it on social media, um, be it in my relationships. And it's about reprogramming in your head what vulnerability means, which isn't weakness. It's a very powerful Mm. tool being seen for all that you are and connecting with people on that level. I mean, I sound like I'm talking, you know, psychobabble, but... 
I found it a very powerful listen and I, I think there are lots of others who are in our position as well so I would urge you to go listen brilliant to well I'll definitely check that out we've had some tweets from some listeners this week thank you so much to everyone who tweeted us you can send us a message at the high low show of course you can also email us the high low show at gmail.com so this one is from is three s's Issy smith or izzy smith Please pass this on to this week's Ask the Hilo. Um, I think this was the week before last. You are normal. Sex is not a drive. Please read Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. It is one of the most life-changing books I've ever read. We also had another tweet um, from Kirsty Callaghan, who tweeted on the subject of period poverty and donating sanitary products. If you're wondering what to donate, my mum has started volunteering at a food bank and she says women prefer taking pads over tampons. That's very helpful. Thank you. Two really interesting, helpful tweets. Thank you very much. The Hilo is sponsored by Sainsbury's Home. Sainsbury's Home prides itself on delivering great quality design-led products at very nice prices, aka high quality design at high street prices. Sainsbury's Home has a dedicated in-house design team of 14 and 80% of Sainsbury's Home product is designed by the in-house creative team. For autumn, the Sainsbury's Home team have taken inspiration from the great British countryside, from the interiors of inner city boutique hotels and cocktail lounges. Authentic design is at the heart of how the 14 in-house designers create their exclusive prints and palettes, and this season each trend has a signature fragrance blended exclusively for Sainsbury's Home to evoke all the warmth and comfort and spice of winter. So the ranges available this September are Nordic Skies, inspired by the Nordic scenery and lifestyle this muted tone theme exudes contemporary style embossed textures and soft accenting of colors in materials such as wood mercury glass and gray faux fur renaissance boutique indulge in the glamour and grandeur of the 1920s with stylish home accessories geometric patterns and opulent skilled craftsmanship then you have woodland walk which captures the tones and textures of an autumnal country walk creating cozy living space with warm aubergine and mulberry colours used across chunky knits and pattern textiles. The Sainsbury's in-house design team have created a unique narrative of a woodland scene with hair figures in rich brass metallic finish and an exclusive fragrance of applewood and clove. Enjoy all of those. There is something for everyone. Thank you very much to Sainsbury's Home. It's now time for the top line, read by none other than Donny. Donny, Donny, Donny Osborne. Donny Alderton. I'm going to start calling you Donny. There's a guitar literally behind us in the new studio, but I will not touch it. This is the top line. A settlement has been reached in a lawsuit over who owns the copyright to selfie photographs taken by a monkey. You may remember this story from a previous top line where Peter decided to sue photographer David Slater for making profits from a selfie a monkey took of itself on his camera. Under the deal, the photographer agreed to donate 25% of any future revenue of the images to charities dedicated to protecting crested macaque (laughs) in Indonesia. A Brazilian judge has approved gay conversion therapy in a ruling which prompted widespread outrage. 
Waldemar de Carvalho, a judge in the capital of Brasilia, overruled a 1999 decision by the Federal Council of Psychology that forbade psychologists from offering widely discredited treatments which claim to cure gay people. This decision is a big regression to the progressive conquest that the LGBT community had in recent decades, David Miranda, a leftist councillor in Rio de Janeiro and one of the country's few openly gay politicians, told The Guardian. Series two of Stranger Things is returning and Gatton Matazzo, the 15-year-old actor who plays Dustin, teased fans of the show this week that there will be justice for Barb. Although he did say there's no chance of the deceased character being resurrected as that might be a little far-fetched. Love Island's Jessica Shears and Dom Lever has announced their engagement via a spread in OK Magazine. 24-year-old Jess added that she can see why people might say they're rushing things, but it feels like I've known Dom a lifetime. They have, in fact, known each other a handful of months. Child exploitation officers reportedly told a 12-year-old girl she could face criminal charges after a paedophile coerced her into sending a topless photo of herself. The girl was groomed by an anonymous Instagram user who harassed her with explicit messages and requests for photographs. Her mother contacted the Child Exploitation and Online Protection Centre after finding the messages and an officer then warned the girl that she could face a criminal record as creating and sharing explicit images of children is a criminal offence regardless of the person's age. Well, that's a loophole that needs to be filled. A man from County Donegal in the Republic of Ireland where abortion in almost all circumstances is still illegal has gone on a hunger strike to oppose an upcoming referendum on women's abortion rights. Tim Jackson wrote to the Committee on Abortion to demand that they watch a video of an abortion take place before they took the referendum discussions any further. He also posted a video message on his Facebook page to say that abortion cannot be tolerated in a civilised society. Vegan leader Jeremy Corbyn can finally dine at Pizza Hut. Everyone's favourite place for a weekday buffet are set to trial vegan cheese on their bases in five locations across Sussex and Kent. Bluewater, Canterbury, Chatham, Crawley and Thanet. At least 248 people have been killed as a powerful earthquake devastated central Mexico. 20 children are among the dead after a school collapsed in Mexico City. Hillary Clinton's tell-all memoir, What Happened, has been published to great acclaim. One of the more trivial but no less fascinating segments is where she describes using alternative nostril breathing to calm herself down during her unsuccessful run for president. The breathing technique is referred to as Nadi Shodhana and it's often practised at the beginning or at the end of a yoga class. Iraq's Prime Minister has said that 16-year-old suspected jihadi bride Linda Wenzel could face the death penalty for her involvement with ISIS. She is currently being held in a prison in Baghdad airport and is awaiting trial, after which she may face death by hanging. A 19-year-old developed hypothermia after climbing... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today the highest mountain in Wales in only his underwear. Nathan French from Merseyside was doing a charity climb in Superman pants to the 1,085 metre peak when he took a turn at the summit. 
Miles Hill from the Mountain Rescue Team said, while we are sympathetic to his charity fundraising for a very worthy cause, we would question the planning and perseverance which went into his day on the hill. While charity events in Yakex are commendable, it's not a trend we want to see started. I think fair enough. <laughs> that was the top line. And we're gonna get I just say that Pizza Hut is not my favourite place for a weekday buffet. It's it is mine. Not on your well now that they've got vegan bloody cheese. Um, I'm very interested in two things there that both concern young girls. Obviously, um, the 12 year old facing criminal charges after the paedophile coerced into sending photographs of herself. That's completely nuts, and that's mad. That shows that there's just there's a big old missing policy yeah. thing. But then I I'm quite conflicted over the jihadi bride. She's 16. Yes, but she's also a jihadi bride. I wonder if we... Yeah, obviously, if you're saying if there was no death penalty in terms of should she be punished? Should she be punished the way that she would be if she were not female and she were not 16? Yes, I think she should still be punished because she is still a member of ISIS. And I think we've made mistakes in the past um, of thinking that young people are innocent. And a lot of the time these um, suicide bombers or terrorists are really young. They are frequently, you read, that they are 18, 19. I mean, the suspect for the Parsons Green underground last week, how old was he? 19, 20? Mm. I think he was about 19 or 20. So it's, it's, it's odious and it's complicated, but I'm afraid I don't shy away from saying that I don't want her to get off just because she's a girl and she's 16. Mm. On to some discussion. Should we start with Margaret Atwood and her handbag? I mean, this is obviously Dolly's choice. <laughs> and I would like to thank Pandora for indulging me on this topic. <laughs> the 69th Primetime Emmy Awards took place on Sunday evening. The Handmaid's Tale cleaned up at the ceremony, winning Outstanding Drama Series. Elizabeth Moss took home Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series. But some would say the true winner of the evening was Margaret Atwood's handbag, which appeared to be glued to her side throughout the entirety of the event. Twitter went berserk for the writer carting her um, shoulder bag around. At one point, she had it hanging off her person while on stage with the cast and crew accepting the award. (laughs) Comedian Sarah Silverman tweeted, So happy about The Handmaid's Tale. Margaret Atwood with her purse is every single thing. Jess Mabel Jones tweeted, Margaret Atwood took her bag on stage because the patriarchy doesn't give us pop. Pockets. And many have naturally dubbed the evening the handbag's tail. <laughs> what do you make of the handbag's tail, Pandora? I mean, I think it's great during these, uh, you know, turbulent times that we focus on the important <laughs> stuff like the handbag's tail. Um, I do enjoy how obsessed the world and you has become with this story, especially as there's a lot more contentious commentary around the Emmys. Normally the debate over the American actress Issa Rae saying, I'm rooting for everybody black, which, mm. you know, raised the daft head of the All Lives Matter movement. Um, anyway, back to Margie's handbag. I do appreciate the power of a great handbag, um, but isn't it funny how we're clearly au fait with those sort of ridiculous little silken evening bags, a pochette, yes. if you will, but a regular daytime bag <laughs> looks outrageous at the Emmys. It's a bag you'd take to Marks and Spencer 
It's like, I just love this story. I love these moments where you see proper civilians just like us at these events because the handbag thing is a really common worry. She probably didn't want to leave it at the table in case someone nicked it. She might have wanted it as her sort of safety blanket, which, you know, we all have with certain accessories. She might have wanted to nip to the loo afterwards. Whatever the reason, I think it was just such a nice moment of relatability in an otherwise very glittering event. Yeah, I mean, it's not just that she had the wrong handbag. She had the wrong red carpet handbag etiquette. She's like that person that turns up wearing a trench coat over their mm. glittery gown and is like, but it's cold. And the person's <laughs> like, I know it's cold. You're in the red carpet. Just not done. But I also like that it's been fetishised beyond all comprehension because it's Margaret Atwood and that everything she does holds such cultural yes, weight. Yes. So, you know, it's suddenly about the patriarchy not giving us pockets. <laughs> and, of course, there's probably going to be a slew of think pieces or at least think tweets um, about the meaningful resonance of Margaret holding her bag all night. So, you know, maybe it's her way of saying that women need to keep their fiscal independence visible or maybe it's her way of saying trust no one you know that's what people are saying that it was her saying trust no one i mean you could go you could go on and on but the talisman that is margaret atwood's handbag and its many meanings um i actually found i actually found out about this story through my book editor juliet we were at a book event last night and someone went came over with like a big camera to take a photo and she immediately reminded all of us to put our handbags down so we didn't do a margaret atwood um (laughs) and i have fallen foul of the handbag photo before the biggest party i've ever been to i don't know if i've told you this story panda um was the opening of the shard and you went I to only, the opening of the shard which i reveal boastfully <laughs> only because it was definitely a clerical error that led me there because no a one knew clerical error no one knew who i was or why i was there least of all me um so yeah i kind of I walked in and there was this, I was on my own. Everyone else was with groups of their friends. And as you walked in, they they took a photo of you on this kind of red carpet that they superimposed onto the shard. And I was wearing this sort of quite thick cape. A cape? Yeah, it was the days of, of capes. And I, and I had this big shoulder bag, cumbersome shoulder bag on. So I, I did look quite uncomfortable. And then for the rest of the evening at the top of the shard, they did a slideshow in the party of all the photos coming in. And it was like Nick Grimshaw and Simon Callow, like having a laugh and picking each other up. And then suddenly this photo would pop, pop up of me. And it was just like rather sullen looking woman on her own wearing this huge coat with this massive bag on her shoulder. And it just looked like I was waiting for a train. So yeah, I understand where Margaret Atwood is coming from. Do you put your handbag down at a party? Also, what do you do with hats? Because I never know what to do with hats, which is why I often avoid them when you walk into a meeting or a party. Do you keep it as part of the outfit or do you put it down? So I don't wear hats unless it's a beret. And yes, I would always take it off when I walk in because I think it's rude. Although these days you see youths with baseball caps Mm. on. Um, Indeed, they were on the Burberry catwalk. Um, I don't put my handbag down at a party unless it's a big bag and then I check it into the cloakroom. Mm. I've actually been known to check in my book before um but i do take um i do take a yes a little bag i mean i love the the story that you just told which is essentially like the clerical error of the cape which sounds like (laughs) which sounds like a poirot um but yeah a little crossbody that you could sling over a shoulder or the aforementioned pochette which you can then hold on your wrist while you sip a drink in fact in some circles it can be called a wristlet that's very nice truly that's the most banal advice i've ever given um and what's sad is that I'm lying. It's definitely not the most banal advice I've ever given. But good luck with your bags, everyone. I loved it. Thank you, Margaret Atwood, for reminding us that even towering literary superheroes have awkward moments at parties. <laughs> I now want to talk about protests and public anger and how we treat one another 
in the public spheres because it feels a bit like we've forgotten that we are all human. Last Wednesday evening, a 60-year-old woman named Maria McLachlan was punched at Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park, London. Maria, who describes herself as a gender-critical feminist, had joined around 50 fellow TERFs, which stands for Trans-Exclusionary Radical Feminists, for a talk entitled What is Gender? The Gender Recognition Act and Beyond. Several LGBTQ plus groups came to protest, which had been reorganised several times in a secret hidden location, resulting in Maria being punched by trans woman. Action for Trans Health London issued a statement saying we condemn violence against women in all forms. We're proud that many self-organising activist allies and supporters stood against hatred, misogyny and intimidation, which you could say is a bit of an oxymoron in this instance. Janice Turner, a prominent columnist for The Times, wrote an incredibly interesting column in the aftermath, which has stayed with me since I read it on Saturday. So Janice was at the Speaker's Corner herself that evening. And she discusses in her piece how the term TERF has recently begun to include women who have all sorts of worries about their own safety in ways that demand legitimate conversation. For example, the the fear that men who self-identify as women should be allowed into women's only changing rooms and refuges, which might make those women feel less safe or TERF can also include any women who are curious and apprehensive about what revisions of gender might mean for them. And Janice writes, search punch a TERF and you will find crowing approval of what happened to Maria. What I find really interesting about Janice's article is that it really summarises how we're just not allowed to talk and debate gender anymore and talk about our, I think, as I said, perfectly legitimate fears as women without being punched. And it just feels really odd that even critical debate is impossible. She raises the case of the murderer Ian Huntley who calls himself Leanne and has requested a transfer to a women's prison. So I personally don't think that he should be allowed to transfer to a women's prison instantly because I don't trust his motives. But even if he does identify as Leanne, I don't necessarily agree that he has the right to live the way that he believes is ideal for him because he removed that right for two little girls for the rest of their life. But does that mean that I deserve to be punched just because I'm wondering about that? I think it goes back to the conversation we were having a couple of weeks ago about safe spaces. You know, it's really important that groups of people don't feel attacked or threatened or unsafe because of who they are. But we also can't enter a world where no one can raise any questions or have any discussions about sensitive issues out of fear of being bludgeoned. It's also just not going to move anything forward. Discussions and ideas educate and inform and enlighten people, not violence and slurs. And as Nadine Strossen said, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago on that episode about safe spaces, she's an expert in the field of freedom of speech. The most powerful and effective way of informing people who you may believe to be misinformed is allowing them to speak because their ignorance will soon become clear if that's what you think they are. I mean, I personally don't believe that everything was being said at Speaker's Corner was ignorant. That's the thing. It was a valid debate. There were things that need to be said and things that need to be discussed. And whilst I completely understand the need to be inclusive, I cannot agree with debate about women's spaces being shut down and it doesn't make you evil to discuss these things it makes you interested and engaged and diverse and it reminded me in a very different way in ethos of the fur protest that happened um, this weekend over London Fashion Week which was the most extreme fur protest I've ever seen and anyone who had attended 
um, London Fashion Week in my lifetime also said that they had seen. And Laura Weir, who's the editor of ES magazine, wrote something really interesting in her Evening Standard column this week. Fake police sirens were being fired. The fashion corps were spat at. Um, a blogger who I know named Susie Lau was spat on. Instantly, she doesn't wear fur. Soft toys covered in fake blood were dangled in front of people's faces. According to the anti-fur brigade, showgoers were all complicit in the evil trade of animal skin, as far as this group was concerned. The thinking is that as the fur industry is so violent, shouting from animal advocates doesn't compare on the aggression scale. Question, should we be recalibrating how we teach each other and behave in the light of the current climate? And I think that's what Mm. really resonated with me. It's not the intention, it's the expression. And I mean that about whether I'm talking about the fur protest or whether I'm talking about the issues around turfs and women's spaces as Susie Law told Business of Fashion about being spat on I'm not angry as I understand the sentiment but I do think there are better ways to articulate it yes and the thing is not only is articulating it in that way discourteous and inhumane it's just not very effective and it it just breaks down communication it did also make me think there was you know there was a terrorist attack for God's sake last week where 29 people I think is the current tally were injured on the Parsons Green tube and yet decent humans in the same week were punching and spitting on one another and I worry that people have become so singular in their vision that they cannot allow for rational discussion and I understand the role of an activist and that they are pushing an agenda and I don't mean that I'm for skinning animals or that I am against trans people feeling accepted into female spaces I am for both of those things but as someone shouted murderer in my face as I trembled my way into the Burberry show with a security man shielding me I did have a moment and this is me being fully transparent of fuck you I'm doing my job don't be so idealistic as to assume that I have the luxury of boycotting the biggest show on the London fashion week schedule where there was no fur incidentally Mm, it was mm. faux because I'm going to apparently change an industry I do my bit in not writing about fur not wearing it not shooting it I am completely interested in how horrific the skinning process is about the anal electrocution of animals I will happily discuss things with Mm, you mm. when you're not shouting in my face and when I need to quickly get into a show but I also do think Do you think you're the only person to care passionately about something? Do you think you're the only person to have a cause? Because sometimes with animal rights, it can feel quite myopic, like that's the only thing that matters in this world. And I did wonder how many of these protesters are engaged with things that are very close to my heart, like period poverty, for example. That's something I personally am really concerned with. And I love animals, but protesting against fur is not the top of my agenda. That doesn't make me an evil person. That makes me a person with other myriad human interests. I don't have to fight for all the things you fight for. Mm, And you do mm. not have to fight for the things that I want to fight for. That's a very, very good point. Well, for example, Doll, if you were to list the three things that right now off the top of your head, top of yourself top of your head top of your is it head yeah top of your top head. of your head you're most concerned with sort of charitably humanely speaking what would those be um the elderly period poverty and homelessness those are all really good ones and I'm deeply into all of those but only one of yours makes my top 3 so by way of illustration mine right now that I hold closest to my heart are period poverty, cot death and cancer. I care deeply about refugees, but that isn't in my top three right now. And I will tell you why. Because one of my sisters died of cot death and my other sister has breast cancer. So top of my agenda right now is stuff that is really, really important to me on a personal level. And yes, before you ask, I have given a lot to both of those charities this year. 
So does that mean that I think you should preoccupy yourselves, and I'm using that collectively to anyone who's listening to this, with my causes? No, I've never in my life pushed cot death onto anyone. I would never in my life push any of my causes onto anyone. I will only ever talk about them, and that's everyone's right. It is everyone's right to protest. It is everyone's right to be vocal and to persuade. I don't believe it's everyone's right to punch and spit. I want to be really transparent about this and not waffly or wishy-washy because I think it's really important that we are not scared. And I do feel scared sometimes talking about these things. I do feel scared that I'm going to get a tweet saying, I'm a, you know, I'm a turf who doesn't know what they're talking about. But we have to allow people diverse and personal motivations. It is possible to care about lots of issues. It isn't possible to be deeply engaged and knowledgeable in every single one and that doesn't make me Mm, a murderer mm. it just doesn't make me an activist for every particular cause yeah and it's also the binary terms of good or evil that we return to a lot that I think we've fallen into a time of really classifying people as um and I think that it's engendered by the internet and I've been guilty of it too and when you understand a story through the consumption of 160 character summarizations you know, it doesn't leave much mm. room for nuance or curiosity. John Ronson said this thing on the butterfly effect about how we treat people who work in the porn industry. He says we're disgusted by them and disgust spells out in curiosity, which I just thought was such an interesting way of putting it. When Well, I'm I'm revolted, so I don't want to know. Yeah, I don't want to know. I, I don't want to know anything about you, where you're coming from, um, why you believe that, what your story is. Yeah. Um, and I think... If you violently oppose something, to try and end it, we have to understand it. So disgust just won't work. For me, the most powerful bit of Janice's piece, and she really is, a, I mean, a brilliant columnist. Follow her on Twitter. Follow the things she says. Um, you might not agree with everything she says, but you can never accuse her of not being informed and knowledgeable and curious about her subjects. But I can see from her Twitter that it's really riled people, this bit that I found very interesting. And to give her credit, she's retweeting the critique as much as she is the praise. So she ends the piece with, when is it okay to punch a woman when she won't do what you want, when you don't like what she says? Some things never change. And I think this is just a really salient point that should remind us what we're fighting for, and that is women's rights. And that doesn't really ever configure itself as a woman being punched. I agree. And I think it's important to remember, as you said, just how we communicate on a base level with our fellow man, even in moments of anger, not just out of respect, but for effectiveness too. Um, I was once actually attacked outside Harrods by an anti-fur demonstrator because I was working as a promo girl for a rib restaurant and I was um, dressed in a giant pig costume. Oh my God, do you have a picture of that? (laughs) No, sadly not. Um, It wasn't a great morning. And, um, but you know, I've since read up about animal rights and become more engaged with how I use, (laughs) it was a horrible day. I was lying on the floor As with another promo girl being like, just leave her alone with like my pig head on. Oh my God. We're going off piece. Um, or I've pig. Since, we're going off, we're pig. Going off pig. Um, I've since read up more about animal rights. I've become more engaged personally with how I use and consume animal products. And when I first stopped eating meat, it was something I was very shouty about because I just read all these books and all these stats and I wanted to tell everyone about them in in a fairly aggressive way. But I've since realised the most effective way to inform someone on stuff like this is not with bombardment or aggression. I think Peter does really great work, but I think they often express themselves badly. Well, interestingly... The thing that I remember most from the weekend is a girl um, who was attending the shows who 
goes to a lot of fur protests herself. Mm. And she was the one that told me, you know, calmly and kindly about the fact that the fur industry has been banned for 17 years, whereas the leather industry is much more well regulated. Mm. Now, that's something you hear a lot from people. And they say, well, I bet those anti-fur protesters are wearing leather. Well, here was a woman explaining to me the regulations of each industry. And how helpful. Thank you, how helpful. To be yeah. honest, as I said, I'm not someone that needs converted. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm on your side. Yeah. I'm just not with you spitting at people. It's now time for Ask the Hilo. We have a three-minute window in which to answer this. Dear Dolly and Pandora, I've just moved to Australia as part of my university degree. Back home in London, I have a few groups of really close girlfriends who are truly my lifeline. I never thought I'd have trouble making friends as it's always come pretty naturally to me. Being in a new country and city halfway around the world and not knowing anyone, I'm really struggling. What would you guys suggest about making friends and having fun? I'm in such a great place. I'd love to be able to really enjoy it. I just feel like at the moment on my own, I can't. P.S. Your podcast is really helping me take my mind off being lonely. Love you guys. Oh, God, it's the age-old question, isn't it? It's so hard penetrating new friend groups when you move somewhere. And you're so brave because I was always too much of a big old pussy to move anywhere else as part of yeah, my... You, you are so brave. Like, I think you should take degree. a moment. Yeah, you should take a moment to... I just think it takes time. It And it can happen in myriad ways. It can happen on your course when you sit next to someone who drops their pencil and, you know, you, you snigger over the same ridiculous thing that one of your lecturers says. Mm. Or you're in a cafe and there's someone studying next to you and you're studying the same thing and you dare say something. You go to a yoga class or you join a book group or it's all those really standard ways. Join the Facebook groups at university definitely start chatting to someone in your class whose shoes you like or says a cool thing about a book you're reading or genuinely anything like that because you don't yeah. need hundreds of friends you just need five good friends yeah and they all yeah. make those in time and also going back to that podcast that i was talking about about the power of vulnerability allow yourself to be vulnerable you know because it is embarrassing putting yourself out there it is embarrassing to turn around to someone and say i like your shoes or cool thing you said or what are you doing tonight or whatever but it's powerful as well so just allow yourself to be vulnerable with people I think you should try and like I'm going to sound so middle-aged with this advice I think you should try and join a society mm. or a sports team or rag if there's like a charity thing I actually think volunteering is a really good way of meeting people mm. it means they'll be like-minded it's fun you'll feel really good about yourself there'll be people that want to get stuck into good causes I just think put yourself out there a bit it will feel scary and you will feel like a bit of an idiot but it will only end in good things and another really old school bit of advice is it's worth asking maybe on facebook i mean it, i load that medium now but god it's useful for doing a big old shout out oh for sure it's put yeah on facebook does anyone know anyone that lives in sydney and yeah. maybe your parents will know someone that lives there or your cousin will have a second cousin who lives out there you meet up with them they introduce you to someone that person might be boring as hell but they have might have a friend who's not you know actually do you know what this might work i don't know what part of australia she's in but if you message us and tell us where you are we can then tweet and if we've got any listeners in that area you can meet up and do yes because australia is a big place you can do you can do a high <laughs> book club <laughs> there you go that's an idea thank you very much to Soho Studio for letting us record the high-low in your lovely studio today there is a guitar and a piano I've had to keep Dolly's oh my god there's also a window where a man is waving at us Hello. and telling us to get out I think he's thank he you very jolly. much for listening to the high-low you can email us thehighlowshow at gmail.com or tweet us at the high-low show yes we're coming out now bye-bye bye, -bye. bye. 